With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Finally, the September 6th edition of the PFF Forecast. We've waited a very long time. We're going to kick this one off with eulogies, sadly. News from around the league, trend zone, questions from the dark web, and a last lock of the week. Look ahead. Let's rock. on a scale of one to a million how excited are you dude we not only do we get a sparkling water for men we get football now i don't i think we're spoiled i think we're spoiled finally exactly we're spoiled right now i we'll, we'll take a pause in our jubilation to remember some uh some late fallen souls uh this one is particularly hard for me um dearest jarek you came in and immediately lifted the spirits of us all. Um, you were unable to run very well, but we appreciated the fact that that didn't matter. And we loved what you did well. And you will be missed and forever in our hearts. Man, that was harder than I thought it was. I can't wait to see Alfred Morris with his like right-handed swing of the bat, though. I feel like he's just gonna, he's just going to come in and rush for 895 yards, totally on brand for us. I, so while Jarek had to fall, the <laughs> greater good is being served here, I think, George. Yeah, yeah, well, it's not like Alfred Morris has any experience filling in for a back that gets injured and then doing as well if not, or not better than that running back <laughs> did before. Like, he averaged almost a full yard per carry more than Zeke and like about 0.4 yards per carry more in the starts that he had in Zeke's stead last year. So, and I know you you were last season before I sort of knew who he was. You kind of like Matt Breida. I think he's got a little bit of, of juice to him as well. So I think that that offense is still going to hum and, you know, they were going to struggle week one probably against Minnesota's defense, but they were going to do so with McKinnon or without McKinnon. So, uh, you know, I think that I think that this is, again, very on brand for us, a, a natural experiment, as they call it. Yeah. Uh, shout out the, the original Breda supporters were David Duman and Oscar Aparicio, who. Um, great name. Yes. Fantastic human beings who are great uh, follows, actually, if you are a 49ers fan or just a fan in general. Um Let's move on from from Jarek McKinnon here to Sua Cravens, who kind of near and dear to my heart as a dime <sighs> linebacker. Why don't, you, why don't you speak about Sua here? I mean, dime linebackers. If if we're going to look at running backs being overrated, dime linebackers to me are underrated. And Sua, you know, missed last season with a whole host of things. This season, he looked really good. The preseason games I watched. And uh, I think he's designated to return, but we know that only two people in the history of the world have sort of returned. 
Um, so it's going to be rough. Yeah, I'm not sure he's quite Jimmy G. Um, Matt Khalil, you have a brother, so technically you're still living. Uh, next up, Quentin Rollins. I don't yeah. know what to say. I'm without words. You will be uh, missed. I think, I think this is without value differential either, so I think we're going to move on. <laughs> uh, Byron uh, Maxwell... I think I just put in parentheses here the Seahawks dot 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 and I and I think we prepped for the podcast a little bit before the Earl Thomas news right. but I still think this is really like on brand for Seattle this year uh, one of their stalwarts a second coming of the Legion of Boom uh, you know <laughs> is, is, is gone uh, before the season starts all hopes dash and I thought he was going to take the next step he's the next Richard Sherman alright you have suffered through all 15 of you fans enough of the eulogies hopefully we don't lose anybody between now and the kickoff tomorrow night i'm sure we'll lose at least three you know dearly beloved souls in week one and we can cry about that as well um let's let's talk about some of the, there's actually a lot of news considering it's the week right before the season starts um let's start with the cleo mac trade so the raiders and john gruden decided to give Khalil Mack to the Chicago Bears, they got a couple of first-round picks back. The part that confuses the living daylights out of me is that they gave up a second-round pick. I can't can, – can, can you just imagine Ryan Pace on the other side? And it's like, yeah, we're just not – we're not going to do the deal unless you give us a second-round pick. And, like, John Gruden and Reggie McKenzie are like, ah, they're right. They're definitely not going to do it without a second-round pick. Let's give them the second-rounder. It just Come reminds on, me of being at like the 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 toy store with my kids, and like I, it's one of those things where it's like you know if once once we buy this toy we're gonna leave, and I'm like okay, you know I'm gonna get what I want here, and then the the second daughter comes in with this like humongous toy that costs like twenty five dollars more, and at that point I'm already like pot committed, so I'm just like okay I'm you know go ahead and have it. Right. I feel like once he got like a team to give him two first round picks. Like Gruden was pot committed and just said, "Okay, fine, have a second round pick. We're terrible at it anyway." They cut like that Obi guy, right? That there was yeah, their second round Obi Melanfonwu the the year before. So you know, I don't necessarily know if if the idea that you're terrible at drafting as a as a franchise should be the reason why you trade away picks so flippantly. But I think that that might have been part of the calculus there. It can't be because they actually traded for two first round picks, so they must have some belief. <laughs> I mean. I, okay, so let's let's talk about this trade a little bit. Uh, first, gut reaction: you hear the trade comes out, you immediately think, "Who wins the trade?" Yeah, well, it's weird because I don't think that either team wins the trade so much, right? Because I think that it's you know I think long term, Oakland with the two first round picks gets a gets you know good capital there, but from the perspective of like just like starting out a regime, I think it's terrible to trade away your best player who's been like, who everybody likes. Right. So from that perspective, but then, but I look at the other side, I don't think the bears won the trade at all. Right. Like not only did they have to give up two first round picks, but they had to, they had to pay Mac like a huge contract. Right. And, and so, you know, I, I think it's kind of, it's weirdly a lose, lose in my opinion, but if I had to pick a side, I'd probably pick Oakland. Right. So obviously every everyone and their mother thought the Bears like stole Cleo Mack. You would have thought based on people's reactions that the Bears just got Cleo Mack for free. 
<laughs> like they just walked, they just came into right. Oakland in the middle of the night and just blasted Quail Mac. <laughs> I mean, the Raiders got nothing for him. Um, I, here's the thing that is interesting to me. So everyone is talking about, oh, the Bears are so smart. They've got a quarterback on a rookie contract. They're spending, you know, the money that they're saving there. And the weird thing is like two first round picks are super valuable, and the, the Raiders have already like invested in, in Derek Carr, the, those two first round picks don't come to, you know, they don't come into fruition for another, you know, couple of years. So are you basically saying that like Derek Carr is not going to get you to a Super Bowl? I, that, that sort of was like an undertone of it that I don't know, was, was curious to me. Um, and I think, you know, maybe, maybe t- tips their hand a little bit, but um, I, I think if push comes to shove and like, you know, just, forgetting which team is which I'd probably rather have the two first round picks. Um, but if I were the Raiders, I probably would have just paid Khalil back. <laughs> right. I think like, honestly, if it comes down to trading the assets versus, you know, signing the player, like, wouldn't you just rather just sign the player? You know right? what I'm saying? Like it's a known, it's a known commodity, right? It's, it's a not, known commodity. So you're to not, you, you're not, and you're not, you're, you're technically not rebuilding from a salary cap standpoint, right? You've got, you've paid your quarterback a crap ton of money. You've invested in some offensive weapons. You have a decent offensive line. And what's interesting, this is, this is the part of the trade that I think is really interesting. So the Raiders defense sucked with Khalil Mack. They're like 29th in the league in, in EPA allowed with Khalil Mack. They're terrible. The reason they're terrible is that they can't cover anybody. I could go for 115 yards, you know, and you two touchdowns. You had better foot speed than Sean Smith did last year. I mean, they, they were horrible. It, like, the next closest team in terms of, like, deep passer rating allowed was like, 20 points behind them. It was, it was hilarious. So it, it kind of goes to show what we talked about forever and ever and always, which is that coverage is the more important facet. Khalil Mack can get to the quarterback as much as he wants, but if guys are wide open over the middle of the field – that's not an issue, right? On rhythm throws under pressure are not an issue for quarterbacks. So they've invested in the secondary in free agency. You know, they've got Gary and Conley who, you know, if he actually plays, could be pretty decent. Wouldn't it be crazy if the Oakland defense is better this year than it was <laughs> last year? And and that doesn't mean that trading Khalil Mack was the right move or that it's better because they traded Khalil Mack. What it means is that maybe they could have actually had a a pretty decent defense and Cleo Mack's work would not have gone in vain, right? Like you should not with Cleo Mack on the field, you should not be the 29th best defense in the NFL. Yeah. I think that absolutely makes sense. Their linebackers and coverage have been an absolute joke <laughs> for like jokes, the entire Jack Del Rio era, right? It's just, it's so funny. And, and I absolutely agree with you. I think again, this is going to be a case study in sort of the cap on how good, you know, how much value an edge rusher can have. So like, you know, we Mac is super productive. We had him last season at about, uh, you know, 1.4, 1.5 wins above replacement. You, uh, above an average guy, it's about 0.6, right? And I think the Bears were sort of trying, you know, with with Leonard Floyd and and uh, you know uh, Sam Acho and Aaron Lynch to have at least average players there. So I really do wonder what the 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 variance there is, but. Um, you know, we're going to see it with Oakland. If Oakland, you know, uh, Arden Key, right, they got some guys in the secondary, as you said, with Rashawn Melvin. Like, if they improve defensively, this is a real self-own for them, uh, which is really funny. 
I think with the Bears on their side, what really makes it what really makes it tough is that in the NFL you need, I think, some flexibility, right? And Mm -hmm. what teams like the Patriots do over and over and over is they give themselves flexibility. They were almost going to trade up for Baker Mayfield. Why? Well, because they had draft picks through their ears by being smart with their assets. The Bears now have basically basically told the entire league, we're all in on Mitch Trubisky, right? Mm -hmm. If Mitch Trubisky flops this year, if he has like a, you know, if he ends up like Paxton Lynch or Christian Ponder or whatever right now, then they have they have no assets to move up to go and get the next first-round quarterback they want, which we know that those guys increasingly become top 10 picks and increasingly need the draft capital. The Bears don't have the first-round picks, the horses, to go up and get that quarterback. And so they're stuck with Trubitsky or you know veteran quarterback de jure, which is going to be harder to acquire with max salary for the foreseeable future. Yeah, so they've got this this second round pick. They don't have their two first round picks. And what here's the thing that I that I think you have to say to yourself if you're the Bears before you make this trade, and that is simply this: Can our team, as currently constituted, win a Super Bowl? And if your answer is yes, the reason your answer is yes is what you've seen with Trubisky and Nagy. And then my question is: Okay, well, if you feel that strongly about them then why wouldn't you want to keep the two picks? Because you're probably, with Max, still the third best team in your division right now. Yes. And those two first-round like if you want to be the best team in your division, you that you're, what you're saying is you need more than Cleo Mack, right? And two first-round picks mm-hmm. is potentially more than Cleo Mack. So it, it is really interesting to me. I, I, I don't like you know disagree with necessarily the trade on either side um but i certainly don't think it's like some you know huge haul for the bears and i also don't think that the rate like everyone just wants to hate on john gruden because he hasn't coached a game in 10 years like i get it he's you know a quirky guy he's probably going to run some weird personnel and whatever but um like this isn't aside from the second round pick which i don't get i don't think this is a terrible trade for him um you, you pulled out some cool stuff that I think is interesting to look at. So comparing Khalil Mack, he's 27 and thinking about, okay, where are other guys at, you know, edge rushers at their, you know, 27 year point. And then what happens, you know, four years down the road, what can we expect? Um, we know that pass rushing, you know, PFF grades do a really good job of capturing a guy's ability to rush the passer and that that's a pretty stable thing. Um, so I don't know what does that make you a little more bullish on on picking up Mac or less so? Yeah, certainly. And I think to get to your main point, I think what this frustrates us with is simply the lack of a clear ph- philosophy for either team, right? And I think right. that that, in terms of player acquisition, is just what's going to grind our gears until we see a team with a clear philosophy over and over. Um, I think in in terms of wins above replacement, and granted, we only have. Um, we only have, you know, from 2013 to 2018 uh, in terms of war. But what we found is that it's one of the most stable things uh, a year, on you know year-to-year basis that we've generated in our careers at PFF. So we really do like this metric. Looking at guys that are age 27, there are basically twice as many guys at age 27 who have war above 0.5 
than there are guys at age 31, which Mac would be, you know, four years into that contract that have war above 0.5. And there are three times as many guys with wars greater than one than there are, uh, you know, age 31 guys. Um, Calais Campbell being the exception last year, generating over a win and a half above replacement for the Jaguars. So there is some drop off. And we do see if you look at war versus age, again, sample size is small because we only have war for so long. But it does appear that edge rushers sort of plateau. Um, again, there's this, there's an issue with scheme. So, you know, for what it's worth, they were a 4-3 defense in Oakland. They're a 3-4 defense in Chicago. So there are just things that I think, like, again, back to your point to agree with you, keeping a guy like that is probably preferable to moving a guy like that, right? There's just, you just add so much uncertainty for both teams. And I think when you add an age and you add, and you add the length of this contract, the the investment, the, the, the uh, commitment that you make, it's, as you said, questionable, I think, on both sides. I don't, I don't hate it, as you said, but uh, it, it, is, it is strange. Speaking of strange, Earl Thomas was a Seahawk, a Cowboy, nowhere, and now a Seahawk again, um, is back in Seattle. Something that I was excited to hear about because I've been a little, I know we've been bullish on Seattle, um, despite their own fans' desire to pretend yeah. that only their punter is the reason to watch football games. <laughs> their weird, have a, like, desire like to you, see the whole thing burned down is pretty funny. I mean, you have a top-five quarterback. Like, let's not forget Tavares Jackson was out there just a few years ago. Um, right. But Earl Thomas, so it's kind of an interesting question. Like, who would you rather have, Earl Thomas or Cleo Mack? Uh I think, you know, coverage, I think we both prefer a corner, but but I think in terms of coverage sake, it's sort of hard for us to quantify what that deep safety does. He's about a, a one-win player, but he's been pretty consistent at it over the course of time. Um, you know, I'd probably side uh, on, on Mac just because he's younger. Um, Thomas joining the league in 2010, I think Mac was 14. Um, but I think it's pretty close. What do you think? Yeah, the age thing is the kicker for me, too. If they were the same age, I'd, I'd definitely go with Earl Thomas. Um, really, like, no question there. But, um, you know, Earl Thomas, what he did, you know, when he was on the field versus off the field for the Seahawks was pretty dramatic. You know, against the pass, negative EPA for offenses facing a Seahawks defense with Earl Thomas on the field, and then the positive <laughs> EPA when he's off the field. So, like a huge flip in what it's like to face the Seahawks defense. And it's a fairly decent sample size, about 500 non-garbage time snaps. So I don't think there's any question there. And, and then it's also a matter of, okay, so he's one win above replacement, but for the Seahawks, who are they putting out there? Yes. Yep. <laughs> so is it even a replacement level guy? That may be a really true, you know, one to maybe even one and a half wins that the Seahawks get. And, Obviously, you know, that division is, you know, we think pretty darn tight um, and they have the best quarterback in that division, which is interesting in in comparison to the Bears who, uh, you know, depending on <laughs> could, you know, maybe have the worst quarterback. Yeah, probably. Maybe, what would you maybe say? The, more, more likely to be the worst quarterback than the second best quarterback in the division? Certainly, right? And I think there's a, you're, you'd be hard-pressed to convince someone that Russell Wilson isn't going to be the best quarterback um, unless they're you know, a, a God-fearing Christian, in which case they're bound by God to say that it's Jimmy G. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think this is, this is great news for the Seahawks. And it, 
I don't know. It frustrates me a little bit to see the maybe the way the media portrays it as much as is more doing this than actually what's happening. But it just seems like there's all of these frosty relationships between players and ownership and, you know, with players and the league. And um, I don't think that's how we should <laughs> how things should right, work, I mean, because we watch these stupid games because of the players. Right. And, um, you know, I want I, I feel like they should be you know, celebrate a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think I think all of us would act this way if we if we had the opportunity to. And I think, you know, it, it's one of those things where maybe Earl should have known. I mean, Cam Chancellor tried the same thing, and he lasted two games into the year in 2015 and came back. You know, so maybe Earl Thomas probably should have predicted that the, he wasn't going to get an extension and just played out through his contract. But I actually don't I, – I don't hate the fact that if a guy doesn't want to get injured, right, then – Sit out training camp. I mean, training camp's a grind. No, <laughs> I I totally understand. So another guy who's now apparently thinking of sitting ten games is Le'Veon Bell. So my so are are ten running back games like four regular games though? Is it like dog years or something like like how do you do this? That's actually more. So ten running back games according to Le'Veon Bell is like a hundred running back games, right? God, you know, he takes so many. Hits. Um, so this is an interesting bet because everything that we know about running the football is, look, run blocking is more important. I'm not saying Le'Veon Bell isn't incredible, but it's just, yeah, he can catch the ball well. It's still not making him the most valuable guy out there. Yeah, he does play a lot of snaps when he plays, so that helps a little bit. Yeah, he's about one, a little over one win above replacement. But they, he is sitting out of an offense that has a lot of weapons. I don't see any reason why, look, you put the corpse of D'Angelo Williams in there and they were successful with him. I see no reason why they can't still be successful with Connor back there. And then what does that do to Bell? That he sat out eight games, they, you know, they're seven and one, their offense is just killing people. Um, doesn't that seem like kind of a, a risk, a really risky bet for him? Yeah, I mean, like, so war does bake in a little bit of scarcity, right? But yeah, we, I mean, there's a chance that, I mean, it's just easier to replace a running back as we talked about with McKinnon, and so, you know, when Earl Thomas gets replaced by, I think it's like Stephen Terrell, it was a couple years ago, you could totally see the difference in the Seahawks defense. When Bell was replaced by Angela Williams, about the same, right? So. I don't know, man. I And I think especially week one, again, this is another natural experiment for us, right? We get to see exactly what happens to a great offense when one of the seemingly great components is gone. And we've seen it before, but I think for everybody to see it sort of in real time as we've been banging the drum, uh, I think is fun. So uh, while I want to see Le'Veon Bell play, I think you know I, I'm intrigued by what the Steelers offense does starting this week against uh, Cleveland without him. The vaunted Craig Williams, Cleveland defense. What was that clip of him? Do you see that clip? Yeah, you got to get your what's ball sack in the a gap or something <laughs> like that. I mean, like, come on. It's so impressive. <laughs> the best thing is that because Hard Knocks is a great show, people are, you know, correlating that with like they're going to be a good team this year. So that clip is probably you know compelling people. Spirit is, you know, arising within people to go bet on the Browns, and that's probably a reason that we see them at, I think, four point favorites, right? Or sorry, four point underdogs. 
at home against the Steelers right now. Um, Which is just ridiculous, in my opinion. We'll talk about that later. We'll discuss that later. Some other news to uh, quickly get to. The Eagles are starting Nick Foles. We've known this for a very long time. We will not dwell on it here. Um, The Browns are starting Tyrod Taylor. God only knows why. By the way, over-under number of games before we see Baker Mayfield. Uh, 0.5. I'm with you there. Um, If they're down like 17-3, I mean, they're putting in Baker, and then we're sweating out that pick. John Dorsey is is coming down, down the steps from the press box with a little pep in his step, a, a very fierce with, chew with Neil, to that with gum. Neil Hornsby next to him, and wearing, ne- wearing, wearing, wearing the fake Baker Mayfield jersey, and the, Mayfield is going right in that game. Um, and the Bills are starting Nathan Peterman, which is just a, a gift to us all. It's just tasty. Oh, my God. What does that say about Josh Allen, by the way? Well, at one end, like, if they were, if they saw Allen, were like, oh, my gosh, this guy sucks, then they could probably just say, okay, well, this whole offense is terrible. Let's throw him out there. Let's prove it to everybody, and let's pick a quarterback next year. What this shows me is they actually think he's good because they don't want to get him killed against, like, the Ravens and some other good defenses early on. So, I, dis- I totally disagree with that. I really disagree with that. They are – Nathan Peterman is not very good. <laughs> and the guy's just clipping birds with passes. They're a franchise that is in real need of a little bit of good news. I, To me, this says that, that Josh Allen is blown it pretty hard behind the scenes because I don't understand – I don't – there's no – there should be no reason that Nathan Peterman is keeping Josh Allen, number seven pick in the NFL draft, off the field. Anyways. Well, isn't he the number seven and the number twelve? Like, right. It's <laughs> a limit. Two top fifteen picks. Oh yeah. my god, unbelievable! All right, that's enough for news. Let's roll into the trend zone, which is of course uh, brought to us by. I don't know. Do you have a sponsor for this one? MyBookie.com. Uh, yeah, MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag. No.com. Brought to us by MyBookie.ag. They're a fantastic place to go make investments. I just recommend that you don't roll with the trends. Actually listen to, I don't know, what the preponderance of evidence says about teams of certain strengths playing other teams of certain strengths. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right. Um, This is a good one. I've seen this like multiple places, actually. So our good buddy on Twitter, at Suma810. He's a good follow, actually does a ton of great stuff with gambling and he points out a fantastic trend the Steelers are 14 and 24 against the spread that's 37 percent for you idiots out there as road favorites of more than three points under Mike Tomlin the rest of the league is get your calculator out 241 218 and nine for you morons out there that's 53 percent over that span Pittsburgh is currently a five-and-a-half-point favorite at Cleveland. We know, of course, they're now about four, maybe three-and-a-half, depending on where you go. So, Eric, you're at a bar. Someone reads this off verbatim. What do you do? Uh, I ask for his next bit of advice. And it's always a him. I it's ask for his next. <laughs> There's no woman next... out there that, that is spouting this off at a bar for, for like the t- simple fact that she is far too aware of her surroundings. Yes. <laughs> Never be that ignorant. <laughs> so I asked for his next stock tip, and then I run over to my Fidelity.com account, and I buy a mutual fund that includes none of those stocks. 
All right. So explain to the people out there who are used to using this type of information and taking it as gospel. Okay. It's like there's some compelling things here. The situation so, so, seems similar. They have the same head coach. It's it's 38 games, Eric. 38 games. That's a so, lot. Right. As road favorites. They are road favorites in this game. Yeah, so what's really interesting here is that this is over the Mike Tomlin era. When did Mike Tomlin start with the uh, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers? Uh, I'm trying to think. Was that uh, whenever Ben Roethlisberger basically came so in like the league? It's like 2007, right? Yeah. And like during the course of that time, Charlie Batch started games. Bruce Gradkowski started games. Santonio Holmes was a wide receiver. Jerome Bet, like maybe not Jerome Bettis, but like there's 38 sounds like a big sample, but actually over the course of like 10 years, you're talking about almost nothing and almost nothing containing the players in that game. Secondarily, like this also includes last season week one when Pittsburgh went into Cleveland against a much improved Browns team and were 10-point road favorites and won by three, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, that type of game is included in this funny sample that we're going to compare, right, with this current game, which is a four-point spread. Those are two different animals, right? And, and so I just it's, – it's crazy, and that's why these, like, trends, like, make no sense, right? Like, yeah. aggregate, aggregate, aggregate. And then only differentiate when, when like, the thing that you're studying is real and replicable. Yeah, so th those are the two big things that I always come back to, which is the players playing in the game are important and are certainly not the same. And not all favorites are created equal, right? You know, just saying more than, than three points, you know, that's a big, a very, very large swath <laughs> of numbers that are more than three, um, infinitely many actually. So I think those are the two, the two kind of big things there. Um, and, and here's the thing you want to leverage as much data as possible, right? So if I can say, I think this is a, a really key point for a lot of people out there. The Steelers are the Steelers, but the Steelers playing in the game on Sunday might actually be more like a bunch of teams not named the Steelers who have played in many games over the past however many years than they are like the Steelers of 2010 who are road favorites, right? 2017, week 17. Uh, yes, but the point, the, the, you know, and sure, maybe they're, that's, that's an example that works too, right? But my, my point is simply that there are games out there, there are teams out there that are like the Steelers that allow you to up your sample size. So why would I go with a 38-game sample when I've actually got maybe three, 400 games of teams that are like the Steelers facing teams that are like the, the Browns on the road with this particular spot, and this is what the math works out. So um, while it's compelling and, you know... I, like there are ways that it sort of tricks you into believing it. Um, not the, the trends are not the best way to go. Trust us. It's just, yeah. And the smart. markets tend to it. The markets tend to adjust to these things. Yes. Right? So That's when, like 
when you say like so one one thing that I heard was like in the Mike Zimmer era, the Vikings are thirty six and fifteen and one against the spread or something like that. And it's like, yeah, but over the course of time these markets become efficient and you know, you're just gonna have to pay a premium to bet the Vikings at home now, right? The 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 Steelers were you know what five and a half six point favorites within the last month right and then the fact that the Browns might be improved I don't know what maybe we're maybe people are just you know racing to bet on on uh, the uh, the hard knocks but in any event this number has moved down to four like this is not just some generic spread over three points it's four based upon the market and it's probably I actually we think it's probably too short but. You know, it, it it's it's the product of a lot of things, and none of them have anything to do with the 2010 Steelers. No, oh, the ghost of Jerome Bettis. Maybe the ghost of Jerome Bettis lives within Willie Parker. <laughs> Willie Parker. Willie Parker was great. First round talent. Yeah. Somehow yeah, generational. Generational. All right, uh, that was our trend zone. There are a lot of trend zones out there, by the way. There's some good ones on the spooky Denver uh, home field advantage. Which you guys may want to check out. You mean you mean the four years that they had Peyton Manning? Nope. It has everything to do with the fact that people die in altitude, especially athletes that are in peak physical fitness who have months to prepare for going to altitude. Um, gotcha. So we move on to questions from the dark web, brought to us by our favorite, second favorite sponsor, Tide First, whatever you want to call it, Sampo Ranta. It's a sparkling water for men because finally we deserve one. Um, they have a new flavor, of course, because the NFL season is starting and Samparanta supports the NFL season. And this new flavor is kickoff kumquat with a slight (laughs) suggestion of I used to kick field field goals, but now I score TDs. It's the perfect drink for making you a new man in this upcoming NFL season. Kickoff kumquat. Get some, Bevmo. I'm feeding I'm feeding some to the birds tomorrow. There you go. They'll be they'll be ready to score some touchdowns. All right, we've got a question from Graham Cox at Fly Navy ES3. He says, "Hi guys, I'm just getting into Green Line. I like what I see. Well, obviously, it looks very nice. Would you guys please consider doing a tutorial on sports betting for those of us who are new to the game, or maybe a dedicated podcast? Thank you." So I will f- first mention that he's talking about PFF Green Line. That is the part of the ProFootballFocus.com website where we have all our picks for every game, not just this week, but for the whole season. We give you three different bets against the spread, money line, over, under. It looks really sweet. We show you a lot of stuff that's behind the hood that goes into making these picks. You can read all the articles that go with it. There's some key stats that you know, talk about quarterbacks and injuries and all this different stuff. I think it's a really great product. PFF Elite subscription is what you need. Um can you give some sage advice on sports betting, given that you are a degenerate sports better yourself? <laughs> um, you know, I would say, like you said, there's three different things that we're going to offer. And uh, the one I think we talk about the most is just point spread, right? So, for example, you know, Pittsburgh, they're four-point favorites against Cleveland. Obviously, they have to win by more than four for you to bet on them and for you to win money. Cleveland loses by less than four for you to bet on them and to win money. What's interesting and what I like about our model, and I think some of the other models out there, but I think specifically ours, is that we give you 
we say that Pittsburgh is a pick only if the probability that they cover that four points is greater than a certain percentage, right? And so it's really been interesting in watching these things evolve, right? And and the, the, the market numbers have come really close to our numbers. Almost every one of our games had at least one pick uh, about you know three weeks ago when we when we put this out here, and now it's more like about two thirds, and even then within those very few, um, is that like there are some numbers that just simply are different than others, right? So for example, if you look at Green Bay and Chicago, Green Bay is a seven and a half point favorite. If we have any sort of like shade towards the underdog, right? It's actually not that difficult for an underdog to cover minus seven and a half by the nature of the game of football, right? You lose by a touchdown, you still cover, right? Um, whereas, you know, another game, for example, if you look at Tennessee, Miami, that game's at minus one and a half. We're actually more t- towards the underdog there at minus 0.5, but the probabilities don't shake out there because basically the underdog has to win the game in order to cover one and a half points, right? So, that's what I like, and I think that that those little nuances, I don't know necessarily if you sort of learn those on the fly or just kind of like a, by observing them, but I think PFF Greenline is a really good way of going in there and sort of experimenting with sort of what are the conditions under which you actually have an edge and and, uh, and, and you can sort of exploit that. The great thing is that even if you don't want to think that whole thing through, we tell you, hey, we have a pick or we don't, and so you can just kind of go in and be like, all right, these are the picks that they're giving me. I'm going to pick some. Hopefully, you're going to also bet against something terrible and donate a portion of your winnings to that. Um, here's my betting advice. Tutorial, if you will. Um, if you are gambling on sports in order to make a fortune, you're an idiot. What you should be doing is gambling on it to have fun. And doing so intelligently will keep you from losing all of your money. Yes. That those are my, my words of advice. You will make, you will end up enjoying yourself far more if you go into it to have fun and to try and be as smart as you possibly can than if you do being like, I'm going to try and make a million dollars because that's how you end up losing it all. And using our tool, using Greenline is going to help you do that. So, um, Center your focus. Make sure you're in the right right space. Well, and and just to kind of double down on that. So you know, both of us used to be educators, right? And there's educational research to actually. say, yeah, yeah. There, there's there's research to suggest that when you try to predict things, you learn them better. And so, like, I think for us, one of the really fun things about doing this endeavor with PFF is that you and I have learned a ton about the NFL and and now college football by you know, going through the going through this uh, exercise on a on a week to week basis, and I think that that's sort of like that skin in the game, you know, type type idea is that you know we do really learn about the NFL when we have to sort of stake you know what we think and and you know this constant feedback that the market gives us I think is healthy. Well, if you want to predict things, you have to understand the things that actually predict them, and that will help you understand what really matters. So, yeah, I think it's a great. What's cool about sports betting, and I, I hope that we can do our part to shed some light that it's not some like evil, horrible thing, is that it's a way for people to invest in what all of the teams are deeply invested in, and that is winning the game, right? Um, and it's a, it's a really nice tool to get people excited about understanding you know, sports, which I think overall are, are great things. All right. Uh, 
Next question from at Draft and Dev Econ. How does Quill Max War compare to a QB like Alex Smith's? Asking because they're both paid $23.5 million on average. This will surprise absolutely everyone. The quarterback is more valuable than the pass rusher. Yeah, and when a guy like Alex Smith has a year like he did in 2017, he's worth something like three times more than a pass rusher. So just to kind of look at orders of magnitude, Mac is an extremely valuable player, extremely impressive player. But even somebody who's at quarterback, who's maybe not quite as impressive at what he does, the positional value is so substantial that he ends up sort of shining and uh, being worth a lot to his team. Facts. All right, last one. This is awesome. Um, friend of the podcast, at Sean from Seabeck, Sean Clement. He joined the Bet Against Movement. He bet against MS, which is fantastic because MS fucking sucks. And uh, he had a couple of bets. He actually went on college, which, you know, look, you, you do what you can. And we didn't have NFL games last week, so, you know, he did the best he could. Um, he actually split because he went with Washington, which, look, to be fair, that roughing the passer, if anyone watched that game, that was yeah. the worst hit I saw all weekend. And it wasn't we were on called. the right side of that argument. It wasn't called. And, um, yeah, I think. I, I don't know. I think our pick was right. Yeah, obviously, the game of football is variant. Um, Notre Dame was a, a great pick. They smashed. And, and Sean and Sean bet them on the money line, so he ended up ahead for the for his two picks uh, because uh, Notre Dame was plus one twenty. Uh, so yeah, so bet against you know answer means. is currently positive. That means that he kicked a little bit of MS's ass with those bets. That's right. So. Jump on board. Right. If not, that means that you're supporting something crappy. All right. Uh, before we get into the lock of the week candidates and looking ahead for everything, I'm going to tell you again about mybookie.ag. We both use it. It's fantastic. They make it easy to cash out. They've got great customer service. They offer every bet that you could possibly want, all the way to over-unders on player, individual player fantasy totals for uh, a player in a week. The best thing about it is they have on, uh, live online betting, which is the thing that I use the most. And if you're a shrewd uh, better, something that you want to make sure you have wherever you are investing, mybookie.ag is the place to go. Use promo code PFF to get a dollar-for-dollar match on your first deposit. Promo code PFF, mybookie.ag. We're like hours away. So if you're not there already, you're already late. Mybookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. All right, we are going... On, on Friday morning, Thursday night, immediately after the uh, kickoff special against Philly and Atlanta, we are going to record our Lock of the Week podcast with a couple of other picks, but most importantly, our Lock of the Week. Um, so you're going to want to check that out. Make sure that you're ready to go bright and early on Friday morning, because if you listen in the afternoon, you could be getting a different line. That's how much the lines have moved. And I want to take, I think this is a good opportunity to tell people that you mentioned it earlier. The lines have moved a ton since a couple weeks ago. So if you want to make the most out of green line, you want to make the most out of, you know, betting, what you want to do is get in early. So we're going to be doing a podcast every Sunday night, Monday morning, right after Sunday night football is over. I'm going to hop on the phone with you, and we're going to talk about early lines to give everyone the best opportunity to pick up on the inefficiency of the market. You want to do, make sure you check that out. Case in point is Atlanta Philly. 
when this line came out, when the, when this game, when the schedule came out, you and I immediately said this is going to be our lock of the week, week one. It was like what five and a half when it opened, and I think it, I think it like ballooned even to six. Yeah, I mean, and then yeah, and then uh, now gradually. Now where is it? I, on mybookie.ag, I believe Atlanta's favored by a point. The, the, and so that's, first off, that is exactly what Philadelphia wants. All of Philadelphia right now, I'm looking out of my hotel uh, window right now, there are people climbing light poles, praying, yelling to Jimmy in heaven, saying, let us be underdogs. That's all they want. Uh, but that, that line has moved like all, you know seven points, and that is a great illustration of why you've got to get on board early. If you bet... Can you imagine if you're sitting here with Atlanta at getting five and a half points? Right. I mean, you'd have a you have a middle that like goes through two key numbers, I, a three and four, and then even zero. I would have right? spent. A key I would have spent. Two. I would have gotten maybe two glasses of wine tonight if I had done that. Yeah. Well, I think we should tell the listeners that that the the Herculean task that you have in recording the podcast <laughs> after being in the Sunday Night Football truck, by the way. I, you know, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm, you know, super proud of you. This is, this is pretty cool. George will be, you know, in the truck for Sunday night football starting tomorrow night. And then, and then he's, he gets to go to Appleton, Wisconsin oh, man. on his way to Green so Bay. So excited for the cheese curds. Uh, for Chicago, for Chicago, Green Bay. And then, yeah, our first, our first, you know, George post Sunday night football slash look ahead podcast will be Sunday night. Uh, into Monday morning next week, so I can't wait. Yeah, I'm pretty. Co- this is pretty cool. I, I'm I'm really excited to see uh, what the broadcast can do now that they have somebody like you in there. If thing, if there's a power outage, if Chris starts, you know, speaking a different language, if Al starts throwing things at the camera, it's my fault. Admitting admitting to betting on the game, we'll just game. know that it's my, <laughs> we'll just know that it's my fault. Um, I'm excited. I'm very nervous obviously but um i'm pumped sunday night football is obviously great and chris being uh our boss you know a little bit of added pressure but it'll be fun i'm here in the city of brotherly love right now and i can tell you just so much love and uh the the feeling is pal i mean are you sweating (sighs) being that close to the atlanta the sweat Atlanta falcons (laughs) are you perspiring i'll tell you this i know for a fact that we are not staying in the same uh, hotel as the Atlanta Falcons, but I'll just let you know that my head was on a swivel. If Dan, if I caught Dan Quinn out of the corner of my eye, I was going to go over. I was going to, you know, say, "Hey Dan, do you mind? I'm a big fan. Do you mind if I buy you a drink or something? You know, Diet Coke, whatever, and just have a little, you know, a little chit chat." Um, like, so I, that may or may like, not have happened, and uh, you know, watch the game tomorrow to find out. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about this game because this is whether, actually, I think it's maybe more exciting because Nick Foles is playing and it's like a direct rematch of what we saw in the NFC championship game. So let's go back to the NFC championship game. I don't want to take too long on this, but the thing that you remember from that game most is what, uh, Julio Jones dropping a touchdown pass for Matt Ryan to seal the game on this like on this like sprint rollout where Matt Ryan like trips on a grass goblin and like Julio gets knocked down and still the pass is on target and it's almost it was the perfect it was the summation of the Falcon season in one five second clip I, no no it it would it was but if you extend it like two minutes to the Teron Ward shovel pass. It was really 
<laughs> the <laughs> That's the culmination of their season. So I do remember that play, but the play that I remember most is actually the Nick Foles duck at the end of the first half that went right into Keanu Neal's arms and ended up in Torrey Smith's hands for the first time ever. Torrey Smith catches the pass, ends up, it's like there's 20 seconds left in the half. The Falcons, uh, the, sorry, the Falcons, if they, if they get that interception, might score a touchdown there, at very least get a field goal. Instead, the Eagles get a field goal, so a six-point turnaround, and of course, the, the Eagles end up winning by five. That is the play that I remember because the Falcons were favored in that game. Obviously, they lose, but that play ends up as a as an incompletion at the very least, but you know, ninety eight percent of the time, at least according to the model that we are using. And so, for a play to go from ninety eight percent and the two percent to come to fruition, I think thinking back to that game and saying, "Oh yeah, the Eagles won," is not saying you know everything that actually happened. Yeah, and like you know, kudos to Keanu Neal and Nick Foles for showing everybody exactly what a turnover-worthy play <laughs> is. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that's exactly it, right? And and sort of we think about these games in a very Boolean way. Ooh, but that game, like, if you if you if you if you actually were to like give win shares to the teams, I'd probably give more win shares to Atlanta for that game than I would uh, Philadelphia. But it ends up being you know, all the way to Philadelphia, then they go on and beat Minnesota, and then they go on and beat, you know, you know New England, I think, fair and square in both of those games, but it, it sort of, you know, protrudes from this, like, you know, decision tree that I think was weighted weirdly towards the other side. What's hilarious, so I'm, I'm looking at two pictures, one of Keanu Neal going up to make the catch, and then the next one is, like, the ball about to go into Torrey Smith's hands, and it actually looks like the Keanu Neal one is more certain to be caught the Torrey Smith one is like, ah, I'm like reaching down here to grab it. I might catch it. Keanu Neal's like. You seem like you have post, post-traumatic post 49er stress of, yeah, of Torrey Smith. Yeah, man, brutal. Um, okay, so spinning it forward now to, to the game that's going to be played that hasn't been played already. But let me ask you this question. How many areas do you think the Eagles are better than the Falcons in? I, I would say rushing the passer, they're probably better. I, I don't think there's a question there. Is there any? Yeah. So are there any others that really stick out to you? Because the one, the one that sticks out to me is the offensive line. I think the offensive line for the Eagles, if Jason Peters is healthy, best yes. in the NFL. Not to say the Falcons are bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I think those are the two places that the Eagles have yeah. a decided advantage. And then... I think everywhere else, the the Falcons are either a slight edge or a large edge going all the way up to the quarterback position where, look, I'm not I'm not pretending that Nick Foles, the Super Bowl guy that, you know, completed all of these like impossible catch, you know, some of these passes that the Corey Clement passed, Alshon Jeffrey passed. I mean, these are throws that, you know, we would expect to be made about 15 percent of the time. And he was just lasering him out there that guy's probably not going to show up (laughs) tomorrow um so i would say matt ryan has a little bit of an advantage there and then of course julio you know despite the fact that he runs the opposite direction of the end zone when he gets close there um is pretty good (laughs) yeah and yeah and i think when you think about nick Foles, as you think about somebody like case keenum or 
you gotta you gotta look at the top of the bell curve, right? You can't look at the extremes. When I think about say, when I think about Nick Foles, I get a very uneasy feeling. So I try not to do so. Well, what I see when I see Nick Foles is I see the Liberty mm. Bell, and then I see that little crack. And so, like <laughs> that was that little. He was kind of on the edge of that Liberty Bell crack when he played in those two two games against my Vikings and then the Patriots. But I think for the next game, he's very much towards the middle of that bell, in which case he's far uh, inferior to Matt Ryan. Yeah, and I think, so, you know, Matt Ryan, the receiving core, certainly Calvin Ridley, Calvin Ridley added to the Falcons. Um, and then, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, I think everyone gives the Eagles more credit than the Falcons, probably because of the results of their season and a lot of the results... Yep of a lot of plays that kind of built up over the season. And the Eagles, or the Falcons, as we've talked about a lot, the results were not there. They, you know, hardly ever, as we saw, as we just talked about, they hardly ever took turnover-worthy throws and turned them into interceptions. I think only the Titans were worse last year at that. Um, they they just, you know, had a lot of luck that, that was unfortunate. And because of that, you know, they were in a lot of close, you know, games and the losing, you know, probably too many any of them. Um, but from a grading standpoint, something that's more stable, they are very good. Deion Jones, Devondre Campbell, um, you know, Desmond Trufant, Count O'Neill, Ricardo Allen. Um, they are good at covering the pass, and we know that's important. So, um, yeah, it makes sense to me that the Falcons, honestly, at this point, are, you know, it's a pick on more of our favorite. Yeah, and they have, and you know, the Falcons got more depth with Isaiah Oliver, right? The the Eagles lost some depth with Patrick Robinson. I just think the things are moving more towards the Falcons, and it, as you said, makes sense that this number moves. I think that we're probably not going to give out a pick on this no. one, uh, uh, to be fair, on side or total. Um, so you're going to have to wait until Friday to to get something from us. But um, it is really interesting, and you know, I think if you had either Falcons. Uh, against the spread or money line, uh, you know, you know, earlier even this week, but a couple weeks ago, you're probably sitting pretty and and and, and happy going into to tomorrow. The moral game. of this story uh, is not that we have a pick now; it's that we had a pick, and when we have a pick, you need to jump on it. The, the same thing happened in our college pick this uh, earlier today, right? Talking about Iowa. Yes. That line moved like a point, right? By the time the pick was printed, so um, you, you've got to. I think I think the the line moved so we had Iowa minus three and a half. I think by the time you took your your microphone, slid it through your shirt, clipped <laughs> it onto your collar, it had moved to four. Yep. And then by the time I got home tonight, it was four and a half. And you know when you have a, a game being five and a half, right? You just lose I think all of your edge. You go through a key number there in four as well, right? Yep. And so there's another example. Last week we had a game. I think it was Florida International against Indiana. What it was going to be a pick at ten and a half. By the time the the, the spread picks column printed, it was nine and a half. We pulled the pick. Game ends up ten, right? And so it, it's just one of those things where you have to be cognizant of the the fact that there are key numbers, and we don't want to give you guys advice that you know is it, you, you know where the the edge is so much smaller than it was before based upon market. Plus, you'll catch me betting against Doug Peterson. <laughs> Uh, never. Yes. The, 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 I, the interesting thing is like the Eagles are kind of banged up, but Doug Peterson can always put his two balls on the field and all of a sudden they've got 11 (laughs) healthy guys ready to rock. So, um, we'll see if, we'll see if, uh, you know, what Dan Quinn comes with. Hopefully he brings some heat. Let's talk 
for the last time about potential locks of the week here. We're going to deliberate. We have deliberated a lot, and I will pull a few more pieces of hair out of my head before we figure it out. Right now, the two games that you're sort of going back and forth between where you think I feel pretty confident about both are what? Uh, I think New England minus six and a half, minus six. You know, I think it's minus six now against Houston, right? We talked about this before. A lot of, a lot sort of, you know, hinging on Deshaun Watson, right? His comeback, the fact that New England looked poor against them a season ago, barely winning that game out. New England sucks in home openers played after the year 2016. Correct. So, so that, so that's, you know, that's a, that's one that we've had our eyes on for weeks. It does not look like having our pickup on Greenline has done much of anything to this number. So actually, I think it's uh, moved down away from us. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, this was a pick that we had. If you look at our sort of like flippant, uh, you know, way too early spread picks that we printed in like May, this was one that was on that one too. And I think it's been anywhere from six to seven during that time. So that's one that, that I've had my eye on. And we, as we talked about previously, Pittsburgh, I think we like that even at minus five, minus five and a half. But now that it's minus three and a half, minus four, I think that we're probably going to like this one and sort of go against uh, the market here. Okay. Well, let's talk about a, um, a game that I think has potential, but I am a little hesitant. And when I say that it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, you probably know why. Um, the, the Jaguars were a team that we were against far too many times last season and paid the price. And now they're a road favorite of three points facing the fighting Eli Mannings. Um, I, I feel like this should be – we have the pick for Jacksonville. I feel like I should be more gung-ho about this. Do you have any salve for my Blake Bortles wounds here? Yeah, I, I think that Jacksonville's defense, to the degree that we can bank on defense in a week one game, is such that the Giants are going to have a really difficult time doing much of anything, right? And, and you know, aside from the fact they lost their nickel corner, um, the Giants still have, you know, Eli Manning and... They still have an offensive line that, while probably improved, is still going to be no match for the Saxonville defense. Um, <clears throat> Odell Beckham is a terrific player, but Jalen Ramsey is one of those players I think that can, can go toe-to-toe with him. So, obviously, I didn't talk about Bortles, right? But, like, that one side of the ball would be what I'm concerned about. If the, if the Giants can come to play offensively, then I think that anything can happen in this game. But I think Jacksonville's defense is not going to allow much out of the, the revamped Giants. Well, generational talent, sure. Corey Grant, will take care of the offensive side of the ball. Uh, the, the thing that I'm worried about is this. We made it to the AFC Championship game. We were probably a blown call away from winning it. We're awesome. I, I don't know. It, they're a young team. It worries me a little bit. Um, another game that I think is interesting, the Bears and the Packers. Right now, the Packers are seven-and-a-half-point favorites. We do have... Um, the, the Bears as a pick here, and I I don't know, man. I, I'm it really has nothing to do with Khalil Mack, so to speak, and more to do with I am not I'm not going to be a believer of the Packers defense yet. Um, obviously, I think Aaron Rodgers is great, but the Bears defense was fifth 
in our metrics last season and presumably is only getting better with Khalil Mack pending their coverage doesn't fall through the roof. So seven and a half seems like a, a lot for a Packers team to cover that, you know, Aaron Rodgers is all world. But other than that, I don't know that they have a ton. Brian, Brian yeah, Belaga, and- by the way, is playing right tackle for, for the bear or for the uh, Packers and Khalil Mack will be rushing off the left side. Just a fair warning. Yeah, I mean, I probably like this a little bit more at eight, which I think it had at my bookie previously. I think it's bounced back and forth. But, yeah, this is one where this is another example where it's hard for a team that's favored by seven and a half to cover because they basically have to win by ten or more. And and so in this particular case, I'd probably like it if the number moved a little bit more towards Green Bay. Um, We're sort of going with kind of the the trendy pick here in the Bears, which I don't necessarily like. But I do like this pick more probably than I like Jacksonville uh, as a road favorite of more than three three points against the Giants. I think that's fair. Um, All right, well, you'll have to tune in on Friday morning to find out what the lock of the week is. And, of course, our lock of the week is going to be a part of our bet against – um, promotion that we're doing. Promotion is the wrong word. Our bet against movement. Um, we are in the super contest. 50% of anything that we win in the super contest is going to the charities uh, that we've talked about for a while. Uh, pediatric cancer, uh, Ronald McDonald House, um, uh, International, International Justice, Justice Mission, Mission uh, suicide prevention, whatever it is that you choose, pick something. Um, our lock of the week, we're going to do $100 uh, combined between both of us and everything we win is going to go to that. So uh, pick one bet that you're going to do each week or that you got for a season-long thing. Make it happen. Um, I, I promise you, you'll you'll enjoy betting a little bit more. You'll you'll love the process a little bit. You'll appreciate it as opposed to just hoping that you get rich for your own good. Actually, do some good. So uh, make it happen and bet against something. We'll be back, as I said, Friday morning. Until then, you can hop on to ProFootballFocus.com. Check out all the stuff on PFF Elite, uh, which includes PFF Greenline, monitor the, the Thursday night game up until kickoff. Maybe something will, will show up and you'll be able to grab it. Um, and then we'll talk to you guys on Monday. Eric, be well. Let's rock. Let's rock.